You're listening to The Blind, Stealing the Blinds, a podcast by students of the game for students of the game. Join Dell and BJ in conversations about poker theory and bridging the gap between theory and application. We're all in this together. This week's topic, Blake Eastman and Beyond Tells. Hey, Dell, how's it going this week? I've kind of been up and down with my poker this week, but I've gotten to play some on the uh, interesting side of things. We're going to see how our sound works out today because I couldn't find my traveling mic and I am actually recording at my place of work. So it ought to be interesting, uh, different sound qualities. How are you doing? Are they paying you? They are not paying me. I have already clocked out. <laughs> ah, okay. I was seeing if you were double dipping on this lucrative podcast that we do as well as your work. So just checking on that. So my week's been going pretty well. I have to tell you, poker has taken a backseat to all other things in my life. Poker has taken a backseat to golf, as I mentioned, I think, last week, because now that it's good weather, I'm playing golf when it's nice out, and poker when I don't want to go outside. Even golf has taken a backseat because my son decided, hey, I want to play Minecraft again with my dad. So he started a Minecraft server. I think like a few months ago, I had told you that this new version was coming out, 1.18, and it was going to be freaking awesome. And I really wanted to play it, but I couldn't bring myself to do it because I couldn't justify the time sink. I can justify the time sink because it's spending time with my son. Quality father-son time trumps everything. So screw golf, screw poker for a while. Until this happens, until we're done with this like stretch of our life, I'm pretty much doing Minecraft. I'm still doing poker a little bit, just not as much as it was. But, you know, that's fine. You know what I don't know about the game of Minecraft, besides everything? Are there any behavioral tells in Minecraft? Actually, there are. If you look an Enderman in the eye, provided that you're not wearing a pumpkin helmet, the Enderman will chase you and kill you, or at least try to. They're pretty strong. They'll probably kill you. But you know who might know about behavior tells in Minecraft as well as real life is our guest, Blake Eastman. If you haven't listened to our previous episode about how to develop a study plan that works for you, go back in our archive, check that out. But Blake's here. He's the creator of Beyond Tells, the world's largest and most comprehensive study ever conducted on poker tells. He's also the owner and founder of School of Cards, where they've spent the last 12 years creating a highly effective evidence-based approach to live no-limit poker education. He's also the founder of the Nonverbal Group a behavioral research and education company that combines technology, research, and real-world experiences to teach a skill set that has been lost, the art and science of reading people and the process of behavioral reinvention. Hey, Blake, welcome back to the show. Glad to have you. Hey, guys. Great to be here. Yeah, so we're kidding about Minecraft. I'm not really assuming you know about Minecraft behavior. But no, we I have do... no idea. <laughs> <laughs> that was a nice segue, Del did. I really appreciate that pull in there. We wanted to have you on the show because we want to talk about behavior tells. We had Zach Elwood on last week talking about his work in behavior and his books and his videos. And we had a great conversation. And Dell and I both know you personally in the sense that we have gone through the Beyond Tells course, which I understand is going through a revamping. So that's pretty exciting. So we wanted to bring you on the show and, and have you talk to our audience and us about... Yeah, sounds great. It's a uh, considerably underutilized aspects of poker has been for a long time. I think it will continue to be despite all of the potential value that you could derive from paying attention to behavior. So uh, we've both been through it. And one of the things that stood out to me was 
how you use frameworks and systems in Beyond Tells to help develop the person's skills for being able to read tells. And I was wondering if you could go over how the average player's approach is maybe lacking in that and, and how you go about helping them with that. I mean, I really even think that the average approach, even in our members, is sometimes flawed because there is a desire to just look for tells, which is the whole point of beyond tells was it's not that. So I've had countless people go through the program and like, oh my God, this is amazing. And then they kick things back to me and I'm like, okay, you're still not approaching it in the way that I initially would have wanted you to approach it. And and they get value and they, they enjoy it. But like, for example, some of the things that we found, you know, in the videos, we highlight certain things and we break down certain movements and certain gestures that are have been shown to be signs of potential sort of sources of information. And what ends up happening is people just look for those signs. So they're, you know, looking for an indication that somebody's checking their cards twice or the, the apex on how they're checking their cards. What they're not seeing is that there's a way more robust process for sort of figuring out how behavior can be used to understand what a player has. And they're not doing that. So I'm curious what your take is on what their hangup is. Like, what's the key difference between the students who get it and those who don't? Yeah, that's a good question. A couple things. Like, first, it's like anything else in poker. So like my spectrum of player I've worked with has been really wide from like the best players in the world to like people that are, you know, one, two grinders. And what you'll find is first in that spectrum, there's definitely a natural aptitude not for looking for the things that I'm saying, but just for paying attention to behavior and being more aware of behavior. Like some people are just better than others. And you can see it from day one of working with them. So like I've worked with two top 20 in the world players. It was remarkably interesting to see the different speed at which they both uptake the information and the processes. So one, it took like, you know, I'd say like seven or eight months before he started really seeing, oh my God, like there's value here. And the other one, it was like a couple of weeks and he was already integrating. So there's definitely a natural aptitude. Second is there's sort of a perspective or commitment to this. So a lot of players, you know, been playing poker for a long time, get really good mechanically. They're extremely sound. They understand the game. They don't necessarily want to relearn another aspect of it. So I've seen players like take it and they're like, oh, this is cool. Like I picked up a couple of things, but it's not really what I it's not tapping into the value that's actually there. And it's crazy because you can make a lot of money just picking up on a couple of things, but it's just not what I intended. I intended for you to be able to like look at a player, systematically break them down, and then use that information to really drive how you're playing against the player. It takes a lot more work than people think. And that's why you have to be like a very committed an engaged student in order for it to work. So like I've seen even on Beyond Tells, like some of the people that send me results and I'm like, wow, like your results are insane. And I look at their account and they've taken Beyond Tells like six times, you know, over the course of the last five years, they've gone through the content like six or seven times. So for you guys know, it's, it's a lot. It's like a pretty robust course. There's a lot of content. So just that level of commitment is going to unlock a certain level of potential. So those two things, I would say like, Natural aptitude and commitment are the two variables that help dictate what's going to do, like how are they going to uptake the information. 
I love that dichotomy because it really speaks to like the entire nature versus nurture or nature and nurture things that you hear about in so many other aspects of life. And I'm curious, how can you take someone who doesn't have the highest degree of natural aptitude and get them to break on through to the other side? Yeah. And let me clarify, when I say natural aptitude, I don't mean a natural aptitude for reading behavior. That's, that's what's interesting. I, I mean, more of like a natural aptitude for awareness and paying attention. So some players at the table, I've worked with really top players that have a little bit of social anxiety and found it like awkward to look at people. So that's going to considerably slow down how they're going to utilize or uptake the information at like a more macro perspective. And then I've worked with other players who just find behavior really interesting. And that's why. So it's not like some players are good at reading behavior and some aren't. I think that more so there are people that earlier in their career thought looking at behavior was valuable. So they continued to look at behavior and as a result became very good at reading behavior. But even I've tested some players that are known for being good at reading behavior and sometimes they're not as good as they think that they are. It's like, so you got to understand that I'll share this interesting statistic. So like we found close to a perfect correlation, highly correlated, let's say, between if a player thought they were good at reading behavior, they were more likely to get the answers on the assessment wrong. Really? So, yeah. And, you know, and Beyond tells the, in the first week of the training, we have a questions like, do you use tells in your game? Like, how good do you think you are? Like, blah, blah, blah. I cross-referenced that data with the accuracy of their assessments. I, mean, I did this a while ago, like two years ago. And it was pretty obvious that certain people have these devices or cognitive biases or heuristics, whatever you want to call them. And they were like, oh, I'm really good at reading behavior. And then they watch one video of somebody and they're like, I'm going to be really good at reading behavior in here. Their answer is almost always not correct. And that's why, because they're not using a systematic approach to deconstructing behavior, and they're probably grounded in a lot of cognitive bias. And without a data set, there is no medium to see if you're right or wrong. It's that simple. So a lot of the tells analysis and people who talk about tells, they're casually observing behavior and they're, they're making assumptions based on that casual observation. They're writing it down, so on and so forth. It's not that it's bad. It's just not foolproof in understanding if something is there or not there. That's why beyond like from a research perspective, if I show you a player who's played 350 hands and you could look at every instance this person has raised and notice variations in it, it's like, okay, there's something there. Whereas I can watch a TV show. I spoke to a client recently. I said, listen, I've, I've watched you before in some of these events. And I'm, I was curious about this thing that you do. And the thing that he was doing, he gave me a really interesting reason for it. And I was like, you do it sometimes, not all the time. He's like, I pretty much do it like 95% of the time. I was like, interesting. The reason why I wasn't seeing it is because they were cutting in the footage. After he checks his cards and does it, they cut to another player in the footage. So I missed that information. So I see a lot of people like say things about tells and behavior that I'm like, yeah, okay. So the player might've done this in that spot in that time, but I could probably follow 15 other instances in which that's not where it is. And I see other players do that. So I, I see players that are think that they're really good at reading behavior, but they use behavior as a justification to take really, really crazy lines. And they get folds because of the crazy lines, and they think it's because of their ability to read people. So that, that's, that comes up a lot. Yeah, that's one thing, Blake. That's one thing that I love about the Beyond Tells course is that you know, we all know poker players are amazing at rationalization and we can talk ourselves into believing whatever we really want to believe. But despite that, 
you have scienced the heck out of this stuff. It's like the Martian when he scienced the bleep out. Yeah, it's good book. Yeah. yeah, you have scienced the crap out of behavioral analysis and behavioral tells. So you take that bias out of the equation by virtue of having all these data sets and crunching through them all and providing a framework. So that's the one thing that I love about it. I know Dell has something he wants to say as well. Well, yeah, I mean, I think that one of the things that I think simplifies a lot of what you're saying is when I first started doing Beyond Tells, what I thought about was this, that everybody's looking for the Oreo cookie tell. That tell isn't always there, but behavior always is. So it became something that was able to supercharge my game when playing live in the sense that I'm looking for those behaviors, not necessarily a tell. And when there's a deviation from the base behavior, that's when I start trying to look at what that means in that individual. It does. It becomes very fascinating. First thing all, there's a lot of people that think that live poker can be boring because it's slower than online poker. And if you're watching all that stuff, you can't be bored. It's a good way to supercharge your game. Yeah. And also, I just want to correct. So this whole like deviation from baseline thing is common in like body language circles. And like a lot of people say it, it's actually not the approach of Beyond Tells. Beyond Tells is creating that base stack for that whole purpose. But there's a lot of information at the table that doesn't deviate from anything. It's just opened information for interpretation. And the reason why I say that is I found players that just so want to validate and spend so much time validating what something is or what something means. And it's like, why? Like, Use the behavior to drive your own aggression. We're all aspiring to add aggression into our game, right? Like that's something that everybody should do. So behavioral behavior could sometimes, I guess for some players, it's toned down. But even like, even for the most aggressive players, when when I'm working with a hyper aggressive player, I'm not trying to reduce their aggression. I'm trying to fine tune it. That's why I've always said like, it is is definitely after coaching for 15 years easier. It's easier to take a player who's hyper aggressive and fine tune them than it is to take a player who's tight. Always, always. I'll take 99% of the time I'd rather deal with it. And a lot of it's mental game stuff and a bunch of other aspects. But if you tell a really hyper-aggressive player who's in 30% of pots or 40% of pots and just constantly battling and driving the action and playing poker, in my opinion, like how it should be played, eventually as you develop your game, you tell them to like, oh, you know, identify their baseline and look for variation. It doesn't work. It just doesn't. They don't do it. So what you have to do is show what are signs that somebody is having thought process that is probably more an indication of a marginal hand and just attack that process because that, that's the whole thing between like research and application. If you have a video of somebody playing 300 hands, it's not that hard to see differences. In. Like you just sit there and you're like, oh, that's interesting. And there's all these methods that you can use, right? That we've used, but it's really not that hard. Like I, any intelligent player, sit down with 300, like pick up walkthrough and beyond tell, sit down with a cup of coffee. And just watch every time they check their cards and what they do after. And even somebody who is not that aware of behavior will be able to see, oh, wow, there's differences here, right? Like there's subtleties, there's distinguishing, so on and so forth. So the trick is like systematizing what are the differences at a broader population scale and applying those methodologies. So like, for example, like we've, it, it's pretty concrete and pretty clear at this point that I talk about like strings and threads and beyond tells so, so articulated here because this is we don't we're not seeing video, but like a player checks their cards and then spends five or six seconds thinking and then reaches for their chips 
and then executes a bet in a cavalier style. And that takes like eight or nine seconds, right? And, and they do that. Then you see them later check their cards, you immediately reach for their chips and bet. And it's a lot more straightforward. You'll find that for a very large percentage of players that a more clear intent, direct string is an indication of a hand usually on top of range, right? And when I say top of range, it's going to be relative to the player and so on and so forth. But those type of ways of thinking about behavior is going to open up a lot more access than being in constant search mode for behavior. Unless you're playing a home game, and I've done that, work with players where we deconstruct some of the biggest games in the world over months and then attack, that's one thing. But if you're sitting down at 2-5 and the player does a subset of behaviors that are, indicate that you're marginal and you're sitting there with you know whatever hand, let's say 5-4 uh, suited in the cutoff, it's like, just give them the rate. There's this fine balance between trying to find information versus utilizing information. And that's something I've learned from the players that I said were wrong. <laughs> like they kind of taught me that like they're wrong a lot of the time, but they're so... They're so confident in their breed that they go after. So if I just fine tune that a little bit, I can create like a savage tack style of a player. And that's kind of what I've been leaning towards as the way that I've been starting to teach this skill set, if that makes sense. It does. It does. So you've mentioned like the number 300 a couple of times, 300 hands, 300 hands. I want anybody who's listening to get an idea of just how immense Beyond Tells is because 300 hands doesn't even begin to cover beyond tells, you've got a huge database of hands. Do you have any idea how many? I'm doing another study in three weeks. That's a good question of actual hands check. We're probably over 40,000 hands. And when I say hands, it would be the individual player checking their cards. So not of interaction, but like of a player checking their cards. If you're sensitive to beyond tells and you're good, the metric is you should be able to tell in three hands. So when you watch a player check their cards, and watch them play three hands, you should be able to tell if they're a good candidate for tells or not. If you're not, you're not using it right. Like I can usually tell in one, like just in one hand, I'll be like, all right, this guy's a good person to pay attention to, this guy's not. This guy, or here's where you should look, or here's where you should not look. And then also, like the course doesn't even get into the It can get so interesting at a higher level. Like if you watch like a super high roller bowl or any of the players playing some of the biggest games in the world, it can get so fascinating because they have the same things, but they're just more nuanced. So they're not doing like obvious things, but they're there. And when you compare it over time, it's like, wow, like, you know, there, there are certain trends and themes in human behavior. So like, I literally have picked up on things that if you watch this player, you would think that they're like the stillest poker player in the world. And after just a couple of hours, I'm like, oh, wow, like they're not the stillest player. Like they're still sometimes, but they're hyper still other times. And then that's the pattern that we reverse and sort of unlock. So you're supercharging beyond tells with AI. You want to talk about that, Any? Yeah. I mean, basically, so my other company, the Nonverbal Group, has a goal of breaking down all human behavior to its most basic elements. The way you want to think about it is there's a branch of machine learning called computer vision. If you ever have used any image recognition software or facial identification software, you're sort of in the realm of computer vision. And what we've essentially done is applied our own system Long story short, like my the person who's like running my lab and my partner, uh, Kyunsik, he is uh, just a, a savage. He works for NASA. He's a dual PhD in machine learning and psychology. He's the guy that helps the Mars rover spot signs of extraterrestrial life on Mars. And me and him have worked together to sort of produce, we call it Project Soul Read. And it's basically AI-driven behavioral analysis for poker players. So essentially what happens is we map every single movement 
on the human body in a certain way, it makes me like a dinosaur. Cause like a machine could basically process on nuances and subtleties that I could never pick up on. I mean, this is, it's pretty cool. The only issue is this is like, I've been trying to use it to break down footage of games, public games, like on line, but they cut the camera too much. So I don't get unrestricted access. So like right now I can take a player who's played every single hand. I run it through this and then I take their hands and I can just see where there's deviations. And then I can drill down and figure out exactly what they are at the most like fine tuned level. Now there's a lot of noise that you have to like sort of parse and, and filter, but like, yeah, it's a foolproof way for finding tells. Like I was looking at some stuff yesterday. It's like wild. Like we map every single movement in the hand. There's been all these complications that you have to work on. Like you got to pinpoint what's your right hand, what's your left hand, right? And then you got to account for if somebody else's hand comes into the frame. There's all these nuances that you would never in a million years think about. And most of the challenge has been the hands. The face has been relatively easy as, as a method for calculating. It's super cool. I've really enjoyed that project more than anything else that I've done thus far. Think about it. If you shoot at 30 frames per second, that's 30 rows of data. And then in terms of columns, it's like 80 or 90. It just produces this massive data set that can be really cool to look at. But really what you're doing is you're filtering out noise and just looking for what's valuable. So it would have made my Beyontel's initial thing so much easier. So for example, like we manually coded over 550,000 blinks. Like we had a team, every time someone blinked, they clicked M on a keyboard and marked it. And then we used it. That's all automated now. So like it's automated with the same level of accuracy that, so like I can do blink rate analysis just very easily out of the box. And before I had to do all these like manually process. So it allows us to basically unlock tells that we didn't even know existed. Yeah, so many cool things. Like one of the things we're working on is like the ability to predict breathing. So, and the reason why is like when you breathe, like your shoulder slightly rises based on your breath. So we can predict like subtleties in the edge of your shoulder and how much it's rising and falling to reverse engineer what your breathing rate is. So to sort of figure out like, okay, you're breathing at 20 breaths per minute in those spots where people are like hyper still, they're hyper still, but they're breathing at different levels. And we sort of see that. And then there's also out of box method developed by, I think it was MIT that detects variations in color in your cheeks that can be used to reverse engineer heart rate. So like, there's all these like cool, like fun applications. Put it this way, like you come to a live class and I use that, I'll find every tell you've ever had. It's that simple, right? But like, as far as real-time application, you know what you could do? You could pair this with like, you could play somebody heads up and pair this data set with like, some of the AI stuff that they've done for heads up poker. And you could probably create a system that can predict bluffing with a very high accuracy in an opponent. Uh, I don't think I want to do that work, but it's definitely possible. So I'm curious, until I get my appointment to have a microprocessor inserted in my brain to process all this information, which is coming soon, how would I, as a Beyond Tells member, with this supercharged course that's going to come out, apply all of this new data to my game. I'm a data wonk. I love massive data sets. I mean, I work in data science and computer science, stuff like that. I love massive data sets. I'm trying to figure out how I could take all that really exciting information that you just talked about, where you could predict and observe all this behavior to infer and deduce pretty much every tell that I've ever had in my life. But how would I do that at table speed? 
Well, that's the thing is that like humans already have an incredible ability to process changes in behavior. Like, like machines are still super, super far off from human behavior because human behavior can process context. We could pick up on nuance. Like there are so many things that are required that the average person just has to start paying attention and just tap into it. And they don't, they completely dissociate. They check their phone. They don't even apply the effort to pay attention to behavior at a basic level. So, I mean, really it's all about the willingness and want to sort of find patterns and find behaviors in people and so on and so forth. But I think that, you know, beyond tells definitely take the first week for free. If if you're listening to this and haven't, the, even the stuff in the first week, applying that can make you a ton of money and that's free, but there needs to be a will. Like I would say this, like humans in general, like we all want a lot of things, but we don't want to do the work required to get them. Right. So it's like, you know, how many times people will be like, oh, you know, I want to grind two five. I'm like, all right, here's the path. Here's what you need to do. It's like check in like a month later. Oh, I haven't started. Like, you know, okay. Like it's like anything else. Like it's just, you gotta want it. You gotta want it. You gotta be interested. You gotta put in the work. And what's really cool is I've worked with some players that, you know, been playing poker for 25 years, best players in the world come to me and they're like the best students ever. They're like still curious. They're still interested. They still want to get better. They still have that hunger. They still have that drive. And it's like, all right, this is why they're the best and why they're going to continue to be the best. To bring this back to Minecraft, if I ever complain that I don't have enough time to resume my poker studies after all this is done, just remind me that I spent two hours this weekend strip mining a bunch of cobblestone, trying to find diamonds to make a full set of diamond armor, which, by the way, has no bearing on my real life at all. Yeah, it's still fun, though. And also, you put in work. You know, you've always worked yeah, yeah. on your game. Yeah, but I mean, if, if I ever complain that I'm, like, getting lazy or slacking off, you know, smack me upside the head with that reminder. Like, dude, <laughs> remember strip mining in Minecraft. Get to this. Yeah, and also, it's, like, it's, it's really hard. And in poker, it's, like, a, it's tricky because it's, like, sometimes it's nice when you're standing at the bottom of a learning curve. If you have a player who's been playing 2-5 and they've never really worked on their game or studied, it becomes really exciting to like, oh my God, there's like nuance in this game. There's patterns and there's all these things I can get better at and you're getting better and better and better and better. But when the learning curve starts to even out, then it's like, oh wow, I have to apply another 150 hours of, of work to get this amount more EV in my game. It's hard. You got to really pick what what works, like what is going to be the most important thing to direct your attention to. And I think players struggle with that. But for like the players that are like pretty studied and they've worked on their game, a ton of solver outputs. If you've done all that work, it's like not, you're going to have more value in behavior if you play live. I really believe that. You mentioned live classes. Do you have any live classes going on or any schedule? Yeah, we got stuff coming up in the beginning of June. We got a Beyond Tell study in June. We got some live classes in June. And then we have one more in October for this year. And then I'm not sure the rest of the schedule for next year, but definitely check out Beyond Tells, reach out. Our live classes are something truly special, especially for those of you who have already taken the course. Typically, I don't let people take the live course unless they've taken Beyond Tells, just because it's just like a waste of money. Like I want to see how you're applying the skill set. I don't want to see just what your tells are kind of thing. So if people want to get in touch with you, how would they do that? Uh, definitely take week one of Beyond Tells. I still answer most of the things privately. So like if you sign up for week one of Beyond Tells and you have a question or anything, I, I answer those privately. So that's the best way. Awesome. And we'll be sure to put a link in the description. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. And that first week is $0, correct? Yeah. Zero bucks. It doesn't even cost anything to do that first week to see what it's about. 
This has been awesome, Blake. Thanks for joining us. Is, is there anything else you want to share before we close? Nope, that's it, man. Thank you. Thanks again. Thanks for doing this. Love what you guys are doing. Yeah, and thank you, Blake. You're two of my favorites, so it's great to be here. Thanks, Blake. It's It's been great having you on the show again. Thanks for joining me also, Dell. Been awesome. All right, and until next week, stick to the plan and may all your variants be positive. This has been The Blind Stealing the Blinds, a podcast by students of the game for students of the game. If you haven't already done so, consider subscribing. And when you're not counting your chips, take a moment to leave the guys a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get yours. 